If you have your Bible, once you turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to begin uh, there today um, in our series, Extraordinary Lives. And we've been talking about a number of different Bible characters. And this morning, we're going to talk about the life of David. And David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And, um, and there's so much uh, to say about him. Uh, in fact, as you, as you look at the, the scripture, more, uh, has been written in the scripture about David than any other Bible character. And, uh, in fact, 66 chapters have been devoted to the life of David and another 49 or more passages that relate, uh, to the, or references to the life of David. But David was an incredible man and, and the list of his accomplishments are quite extensive. So we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, he, you know, the Bible says he was, um, a shepherd. He was a king. He was a prophet. He was a musician. He was a warrior. He was a poet. And like all the other Bible characters we looked at, he's, he was also 100% human. So let's pray and ask God to help us. And I just trust that God will speak something to us through this message that will encourage us and help us in our walk with him. Father, thank you so much for your grace upon me, I pray. Lord, may your hand of anointing and, and teaching grace be upon me today. I pray grace upon all the ears and the hearts that are hearing your word today. And God, I pray that you would use this time that we look into your word to, to grow us, to mature us, to strengthen us. Lord, help us to be Come, Lord, everything that you've destined and desired for us to become in your kingdom and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as I said before, so much has written, been written about, about uh, David that there's no way to cover everything. So we're just going to hit a couple of highlights. And in our time today, we're going to look at four different aspects of David's life. David the king, David the warrior, David the human, and David the man after God's own heart. And so we're going to begin with David the king. Now, the scripture, uh, as you read the Bible, you'll find that David emerges in the scriptures after the first king, uh, who is King Saul, has, uh, has made a mistake. He's uh, disobeyed God and he's rejected as king. And uh, a, a mistake that Saul made that was so drastic that God would choose to remove him from his position as king. And then he starts looking for somebody else. You remember King Saul was instructed by God to go and take out the Amalekites and kill all the cattle and all the sheep and all that stuff. He said, don't spare anybody or anything. Just go wipe them out. And Saul went and, uh, and, and although he had given, been given specific instructions, he didn't kill all the cattle and all the sheep and, and he left King, uh, he didn't kill, uh, the, the king of the Amalekites, King Agag. He didn't, he didn't kill him. And so the, the prophet came back to Saul and said, Saul, why did you disobey God? And he said, what do you mean? Why did I disobey God? I did. I, I went and attacked the Amalekites and I did everything. He said, no, what's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? In other words, I still hear that there's some sheep. And what about King Agag? And so, so rather than Saul obey God's instructions, he spared some of the best sheep. And he said, oh, I was going to use those to worship God. And so in other words, Saul partially obeyed God. And how many of you know partial obedience is not obedience at all? Partial obedience is disobedience. And that's what Saul did. He partially obeyed God. And then the word of the Lord came to him through the prophet and said, because you have disobeyed, I've rejected you as the king of Israel, and I'm removing you from, from the kingship. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, and in verse 13, 
This is what the word of the Lord came to, to Saul through Samuel. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God or the, the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So the Lord rejects Saul from being king of Israel. And then he instructs Samuel to anoint a new king to lead the nation of Israel. And the Lord gives Samuel specific instructions on how to find this new king. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, just a few chapters over, in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So the word of the Lord comes to Samuel. He organizes this banquet or this ceremony. And he goes to uh, Jesse and he tells Jesse uh, to bring all his sons to this banquet. And so Jesse invites all of his sons, which he had eight of them, except one, King David. He doesn't invite David, who's the youngest one, who's out in the fields tending to the sheep. And so during the anointing service, when God is about to pick a new king, and and the prophet is looking at the sons of Jesse, and he's about to anoint the oldest one and says, this looks like a king. I mean, his statue, his, his charisma, this is a king. And the prophet and the Lord stops him and he says, no, don't anoint that one. And then he goes to the next son, says, okay, this must be the one. And, then, and the Lord stops him and said, no, not that one. And he goes to the list of sons. And then finally, the, the prophet says, do you have any more sons? And he said, yeah, I have one. He's out there in the fields. In 1 Samuel 16 and 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eli and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then, then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shema, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. You can see that God stops Samuel from anointing any of the other sons to be the king. And he calls for the youngest son, David, who's not even at the banquet. David was out in the field shepherding the sheep, taking care of his father's flocks, taking care of his father's, uh, his, his father's animals. And so God says, no, I want him to be at this banquet. In verse 12, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil and he brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. So there you have it. David is chosen and anointed to be the king of Israel. Now, before we move on, I want to make a couple of application points about the story that we just read. And the first point is this. God chooses 
what the world considers unqualified to serve in his kingdom. Amen. God uses people who are, who are least likely or who you would never expect that he would use. He chooses people that the world would say that are insignificant, unqualified, least likely to succeed. That's who God chooses. That should encourage you a little bit this morning. Of all the sons that Jesse had, it's the youngest and the most unlikely. Surely the firstborn. You know, when Samuel was looking at these guys, he said, man, this guy's handsome. He's tall. He looks like he's a strong. He looks like he's got charisma. That's the guy. And the Lord said, no, not him. No, not him. And so listen, David was just out there shepherding, but God decided that he was the one that was going to be used. That's a typical pattern the Lord uses to choose those that he wants to use in his kingdom. He don't, he don't use somebody that is, that, that is, that is so gifted and has such great charisma and talent. When God is ready to use somebody, he uses somebody that the world would say, nah, they're not too hot. Listen to what Paul said. First Corinthians 126. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Amen. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, God uses nobodies in the world's eyes and makes them somebodies in the kingdom of God. Amen. So David's story reminds us that God takes nobodies and makes them somebodies so that everybody knows it's a God thing. Amen. Nobody has a question. That is God. I'm telling you, that's God right there. Point number two, it doesn't matter what others think of you as long as God is thinking of you. It doesn't matter what others think about you as long as God is thinking of you. That's all that matters. Remember, Jesse thought so little of David. His father thought so little of David that he didn't even invite him to the banquet. He didn't think that David had a chance of being the king of Israel. His own father didn't see what God saw in David. Yet God so thought of David that he chose him to lead his nation, to lead his people. So you can see what Jesse thought David was and what God thought David was, was two different things. So the moral of the story is nobody determines your destiny except God. Not your mama, not your daddy. Amen. Not your boss. Nobody determines your destiny except God. It doesn't matter how weak or powerless you think you are or others think you are. It only matters what God thinks you are. Amen. If you want to know what God thinks you are, remember Jeremiah 29, 11, I know of the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. In other words, God said, I got, I got great confidence in you, servant. I got great confidence in you, woman of God, man of God. I got great confidence that you can do great things. God thinks you're capable of having a wonderful life. Come on, you receive that this morning? A second aspect of David's life worth looking at, not only was David the king, but David was a warrior. Although he was a shepherd boy, he became a warrior. In fact, the people of Israel learned this song and they would chant this song. They would sing this song. 
that tormented Saul. And it was this, 1 Samuel 18, 7. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. David became a great warrior. And according to David, the reason why he became a great warrior is because it's the Lord that taught him how to war. The Bible says in Psalm 144 and 1, praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. And so through God's training, David was able to lead Israel in one victory after another was when David led the nation of Israel, they began to take land. They began to overcome their adversaries. David led the nation of Israel to conquer great land. But you know, the victory David is most famous for is his victory over Goliath. Remember that guy? The giant Philistine, nine foot tall, huge guy. And there he was standing in the valley, tormenting and taunting the nation of Israel. And just challenging him. If any of you can beat me, you come out here in the valley and I'll, I'll show you. And this giant was holding back the nation of Israel from going into their destiny. David, being the warrior that he is, decides, I'm not going to let this Philistine torment the people of God. I'm not going to let this giant keep the people of God from moving forward. What's going to be the reward if I take this giant down? And of course, there was all the naysayers and said, who are you to think you can take this giant down? Remember that? First Samuel 17 and 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue from the Philistine. Well, that's good words right there. Amen. Come on. How many of you feel already like you're ready to go bear hunting with a switch? You know, you're, you're ready. We can see the warrior inside of David that won't allow this Philistine giant to torment the people of God. There's something on the inside of him saying, I'm not going to lay down and let this enemy of God. Keep us from going where we need to go. In verse 40, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag. Then he armed only with his shepherd's staff and his sling. He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Verse 44, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. I love that phrase. The Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. And reaching into his shepherd's bag, taken out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. 
Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill and cut off his head. Now, how many of you heard that story before? Let me see your hands. How many of you heard that story a lot of times? Let me see your hands. How many of you, although you've heard that story a lot of times, it still feels good to read it. Amen. Doesn't it feel good to read that story? I mean, it's the, you know, the underdog that takes down the one that's supposed to win. And everybody loves underdog stories. Amen. And David was a boy. He was a shepherd boy. And he was facing this warrior of a giant. But David takes him down. What a tremendous victory. That day, everybody realized David was no longer just a shepherd boy. David was a warrior. David had become a skilled, anointed, and trained warrior in God's army. And so listen, now let's make a couple of application points here with this incredible story. And the first point is this. To be a great warrior in God's kingdom, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. You don't wake up overnight and you're a warrior in God's kingdom. And by the way, God is looking for an army. In other words, he's looking for warriors in his kingdom. Amen. He's looking for people that are ready to go headhunting, that are ready to face giants, the adversary of the kingdom of God. Amen. How many of you are interested in that? But listen, to become a warrior, it's not an overnight situation. You remember when Saul questioned David's ability to defeat Goliath? Remember what David, how David responded? David's response was, hey, listen, I've been training for this. What do you mean you've been training for this? You've been looking after some sheep and some goats. This is what David said, verse 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a war, a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this both to lions and bears. I'll do this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. I want you to catch this. David said, the reason why I believe I can take the giant down is because I know how to win battles. And one of the first great battles David won was over the lion and the bear. And nobody saw that. Nobody knew that. But whenever a lion and a bear came to try to steal the sheep out of the mouth or out from under the the authority and the responsibility of David, David rose up in the power and the anointing of God and he went after the bear, he went after the lion and he defeated them. And he said, listen, I know what it is to fight battles. I've never taken a giant down, but I do know the power of God on my life. And if God can empower me to take down the lion and the bear, I know that God can empower me to take down this Philistine. So armed with a club and God's grace, he learned how to win some battles. So here's the point. It's the small battles in life that we win every day that teaches us and trains us to be great warriors in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we're looking for the great Goliath to take down. We're looking for the great spiritual opportunity to become the warrior. But I'm here to just suggest to you that the way that you train to be a warrior in God's kingdom is winning the battles of everyday life. It's winning the battles that you can encounter every day. Like that, that hard to deal with person at Walmart. Amen. That discouragement that you wake up with on Monday morning. When you learn how to win the bear and the lion, the small things in life, you learn to become a great warrior in the kingdom of God. So don't despise small beginnings. Begin fighting the battles that are right before you and learn how to overcome. And you'll become a great warrior in God's kingdom. 
Warriors are developed in the daily grind of life. Amen? Point number two, to be a warrior in God's kingdom requires facing and overcoming fear and intimidation. You remember whenever Goliath stepped out on that valley, you know, the, the Israelite army started running away and they were hiding like scary cats. And David says, what's going on here? I said, man, you didn't see that dude? I mean, his spear is bigger than five of us together. I mean, he's a giant of a guy. We have no chance. Second Samuel or first Samuel 17. Don't be ridiculous. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. Nobody thought that anybody could take him down. But David didn't run from the giant. He ran to the giant. And so. Verse 36. I've done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, too. You see the confidence in David. You know, listen. There was no fear and intimidation in David towards this giant. And you know, somebody said intimidation and fear may be the biggest giant that you will ever face in your life. It's not the giant itself, the giant problems of life. Maybe the greatest giant itself is the fear and intimidation of the giants in your life that keep you from going into the promised land. No one has ever reached any level of success or significance in God's kingdom without facing and defeating the giant of fear and intimidation. How many things do you think have gone undone in God's kingdom because people are afraid to lose? They're afraid to fail. They're afraid they might not do it just right. They're afraid. They're intimidated. They feel like a grasshopper. They feel like they're in the land of the giants and they're a nobody. But bless God as children of God. We are not grasshoppers. We are children of the most high God. Second, it's Timothy 1.7. Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power of love and of a self-discipline. Amen. I found out this. That if you will be willing to face the challenges of life in the name of God, God will anoint you and give you the power and the grace to take down the giant. But first, you got to face it. Don't run from it. Face the giants in your land. And God will give you victory. Amen. Come on, if you believe that, say amen. 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 Point number three. To be a warrior in God's kingdom requires complete faith and dependence on God. Warriors depend on God's strength to deliver them. In verse 37, 1 Samuel 17, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue us from the Philistine. Warriors depend on God's power to conquer their giants. In verse 45, I come to you. He said, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army. What was David saying? I'm not relying in this sling and this stone. I'm not going to rely on a spear or a sword. I'm not going to rely on the things of this world. I'm going to rely on things that come from heaven. I'm going to rely on the power of God. Listen, there's no doubt where David's confidence and dependency was. David had complete faith and trust that God could give him the victory. Do you know that faith will give you the victory in life? When you trust God, when you depend on God, you will be able to accomplish things that you would never otherwise be able to accomplish. Do y'all believe this this morning? The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Amen. Hey, listen, let me encourage you. Trust God to give you the victory over the giants in your life. Amen. 
Be the warrior that God called you to be. A third aspect of David's life we want to look at today is this. David the human. You know, although David was an incredible king, although David was an incredible warrior, he was also 100% human and had personal weaknesses in his humanity. What I love about the Bible is it doesn't try to, you know, sugarcoat or skip over the shortcomings and the problems that the Bible characters had in their life. It puts them out there just like everything else. And the same is true of David. Unfortunately for David, he had another part of his life that he's famous for. He's famous for killing Goliath. But there's also another part of his life that he's famous for. And it's his personal sin with Bathsheba. We know it. We all know it. It's an intense moment in David's life where he's given in to the temptation and he fails morally with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel eleven two, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And he looked out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. And so David gives in to his human lust and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. The Bible shows us his humanity. But to make, to make matters worse, in attempt to cover up his sin of adultery, he sends Uriah out into the battlefield, into the front lines. And in essence, he has Bathsheba's husband Uriah murdered. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel eleven fourteen. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. Uriah is carrying his debt his death certificate. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. What? David? Yes, David. David sent Uriah with his own death wish in his hand. So we can see what a picture of humanity. Such a gifted and powerfully talented, anointed leader. Here, here, there's a, there's a, a lesson in that story. There's, there's something for us to pull out of that. Here's some lessons we can learn from David's humanity. Number one, none of us are immune to the power of human flesh's appetite for sin. None of us. Remember, this is the guy that God chose. So just because we're chosen into the family of God as a Christian doesn't mean you got to, you don't, you quit wrestling with the humanity, the human side of you, the flesh that has an appetite to sin. James chapter one and verse 13 says, and remember when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Then where does the temptation come from? Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. In other words, we can't use the phrase, the devil made me do it. Amen. Come on, say a better amen right there. 
Verse 15, these desires give birth to a, to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You know, people say, I fell into sin. We never fall into sin. I mean, it doesn't happen like, oh, surprise. So listen, no matter how gifted or anointed you are, you still have to deal with the human side of you that has an appetite, the flesh that has an appetite for sin. Amen? If you got it, say, I got it. Point number two, no one is beyond the reach of the consequences of sin. You know, you heard that famous phrase. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay. David paid a very high price for his sin. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David. Remember, he told him that story. He said, hey, there was a rich man and a poor guy. Rich guy had all these sheep. Poor guy had one. A, a, a stranger came into the city, the rich guy. And instead of using one of his many sheep, he went get the one sheep that ate at the table of the poor man. That, that the pet that he used to, that he used to let eat off of his own plate. He went take that poor man's sheep and he sacrificed it and he, and he fed that stranger with that one sheep. And David said, where is that man? I want to take him down right now. And the prophet pointed his finger at David and said, you are the man. And David's heart broke. He's like, oh my goodness, what did I do? In verse 2 Samuel 12, 9. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Now, although David repented and he was forgiven, the rest of his life, he suffered the consequences of this sin. And I don't have time to talk about all the different consequences. But this is just a small part when he says, he says, you will, your family will live by the sword. If you follow David's story, he had nothing but turmoil in his family. His own son tried to take over and, and tried to usurp his authority. He had all kinds of immorality in his family. He paid a very high price. He lived with tremendous family turmoil and paid a high price. Although God forgave him, he still had to live with the consequences. God is a forgiving God. Yes, he is. But how many of you know there's still a price to pay when we don't obey God? Galatians 6 and 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Now, if you take time to read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you get a better picture of the price that David had to pay. Not only did he pay a high price in his professional life, his family life, but his spiritual life as well. And you read Psalm 32 and you read Psalm 51. And these are Psalms that just tell you about what he was dealing with, what he was feeling with as he comes clean and as he opens up his heart before God. He got right with God, but the price was still there. So although David was given the temptation of his humanity and he suffered tremendous consequences for his sin, the Bible tells us that God called him a man after his own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. How could that be? 
How could a man that failed so miserably be called a man after God's own heart? In Acts 13, 22, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Listen, how would you like for God to say that about you? That he's a man after my own heart. I mean, man, what a, what, what a great phrase. We get an idea of what God is looking for. What God is looking, when he looks around at the church and he looks at people sitting in the pew, what is God looking for? He's looking for somebody with, with, with degrees of education, with masters and doctorates. Is he looking for somebody that has great charisma? Is he looking for somebody that's so skilled and gifted that can sing on pitch and can play like nobody's business? Is that who God looks for when he's ready to use somebody in his kingdom? Well, I think Samuel gives us an idea of what God looks for. In 1 Samuel 16, 6, when they entered, he looked at Eli and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is the, the anointing ceremony. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. Or at the height of his statue, because I've rejected him. So the Lord says, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at what's on the outside. For God sees not as a man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The Lord looks at the heart. So when God looks at us, he don't look at whether we match. He don't look and see whether our hair is done just right. When we come to worship God, he could care less. What he looks at is our heart. And he's the only one that can see right through our flesh and right down into our heart and know the motives, the intents, and everything that's lurking around in there. And he's looking for a heart. He's looking for a heart that's after him. Amen. God looks at the heart of people when he's ready to use somebody. So in other words... Whether you're the first in the family or the youngest in the family, it doesn't matter. It matters what kind of heart you have. Amen? It doesn't matter whether you're on the right side or the wrong side of the tracks. What matters is that you got a right heart before him. Amen? It doesn't matter whether you failed school and dropped out or whether you got a doctor degree. What matters is your heart for God. Did you get it yet? Amen? So how do you become a man after God's own heart? couple of attributes. Number one, a desire and a willingness to obey God's instructions. I want you to notice Acts 13, 22 again with me. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then listen to what he says right after that. He will do everything I want him to do. Oh, God needs his obedience. All he needs is a submitted heart, a submissive heart. All he needs is somebody that's willing to follow his instructions. Remember, Saul lost his position of authority. Why? Because of his disobedience. Because he wouldn't do what God told him to do. That's the reason why he lost his position of kingship. Wow. Isn't that powerful? First Samuel 15, 22, but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? This is after the, the prophet comes and rebukes Saul. He says, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience 
is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than the offering of fat of rams. Now listen to this. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Wow. A man or woman who has a heart for God is a man or woman who's willing to do what God asked them to do. What really impresses the Lord is not our sacrifice. What really impresses the Lord is whenever we have a teachable spirit and a heart that's just saying, God, I want to learn more. I want to just know what it means to be a faithful servant of yours. See, a goat is always looking to press, push the envelope. They're always trying to go just next to the, to the barrier just to see if they can put one foot on the other side and God would be okay with it. But a sheep say, no, I want to be in the middle of the pack. I want to be in the middle of the group that the shepherd is looking after. Come on. Let's not be goats. Let's be sheep. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. Amen. Attribute number two, to become a man after God's own heart requires a faithful servant's heart. Listen to this verse, Psalm 78, 70. He chose his servant, his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. He called him a servant. David had a heart to serve and he did it faithfully. He served his father faithfully. And later he served King Saul faithfully. See, was it that David had such ability? He was so skilled. He just had a heart of humility. He was just looking for somebody to serve. And whenever he began to serve Saul, it opened up doors for him. First Samuel 16, 19. So Saul sent messages to Jesse to said, send me your son of David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and a wine scope full of wine. So David went to Saul and look what he did. He began serving him. And Saul loved David very much. Can I tell you something? If you learn to serve your boss, your boss is going to love you very much. Amen? Which means if somebody gets promoted, you're probably going to be on the top of the list. Which means if somebody's going to make more money, you're probably going to be the one really looked hard at to give more money. Uh, You got that? If you got that, say, I got that. So Saul loved David very much and David became his armor bearer. Here's another thing. If you learn how to serve, you get positions. See, most people want positions, but don't want to serve. But the Bible says if you serve, you'll get a position. You serve your way into a position. Don't look for the office or the title. Serve. And serving will get you an office and get you a title and get you a position. Well, that's good preaching right there, I have to say. Amen. Amen. Y'all agree with that? How many of you agree with that? Then listen, Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my, for I'm very pleased with him. David impressed King Saul by faithfully serving him. It was David's humility and willingness to save others 
that caught the eye of the Lord. Jesus said it like this. Mark 10, 44. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave. Slave? How dare you call me a slave? God says, if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, learn how to be a slave. Pride to want to be called a slave? How how condescending to be referred to as a slave or a servant. Man's ways are not God's ways. God's ways are higher than man's ways. Amen? And so listen to what he says in verse 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. Listen, if you want to impress God and get his attention, just learn how to serve. You know, it's amazing to me how David was just out there. What was he doing? Just doing what his dad asked him to do. What did his dad ask him to do? Son, I want you to take care of them sheep. Well, where are y'all going to be, Dad? Well, we got an important meeting in the town that we got to attend. Well, Dad, what about me? I can't believe that you wouldn't even invite me to the banquet. That's how much you think of me, your own son, that you didn't even invite me. David just said, oh, my responsibility is tend to the sheep. And he tended to the sheep. And he didn't have to go out giving cards. I'm a prophet. I'm a king. I'm a... I'm an evangelist. I'm a bishop. He didn't have to go out giving cards. When God is ready to use somebody, you don't need a business card. All you need is God to know who you are. Amen. And God anointed him, appointed him, and made him king, prophet, priest, and made him a great warrior. Amen. Boy, that's encouraging right there. Amen. God knows where you are. How do you get there? Serve your way to leadership. Serve your way to influence. That's what Jesus said. In verse 43, Jesus said, whoever wants to be your leader must first be your servant. You know, most people are looking for servants. I want to be the kingpin and I want to have a bunch of servants that can serve me. Hey, give me that. Hey, you over there, go get me that. While I sit right here in my office, kick my heel up. And God said, no, 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 no. If you want to be the leader, put the towel on you and just go serve somebody. Amen. And finally, to become a man after God's own heart, attribute number three, a heart that is a worshiper. David was a worshiper. Remember when Saul was rejected as king, the Bible says a tormenting spirit came on him. Now, I don't know what, it don't say exactly, but, you know, it, it could have been the tormenting spirit of anger. Or, well, we know he had that. We know Saul had anger, but it could have been depression, discouragement. It could have been he was losing his head. I mean, it was bad. He got tormented by this spirit. And so Saul had enough sense to say, hey, man, does anybody around here know how to play any music? Because that might make my soul feel a little bit more peaceful. And somebody said, you know, they got this, they got this little guy out there in the fields. I, I was just going through the fields one day and I heard him. He was watching the sheep and I heard, I heard this sound and I peeked in through the trees and I saw this little shepherd boy playing a harp. Man, the beautifulest sound you ever heard. Go find him and bring him here. Saul wanted this harpist. 
First Samuel 16, 23, whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp and then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. Now, here is my my opinion about this story. I, th- I don't think that David was like, you know, this terrible harpist. But I don't think it's because he was so skilled at the instrument that God moved so mightily when he played the harp. I think it's because the anointing of God was on his playing that even if he missed a note, God would fill in the gap. And the spirit still couldn't stand in the presence of the anointing of God strumming across the strings. And the tormenting spirit had to leave. Amen. I believe that the reason why David was so effective as a musician was because he had a strong anointing on his life because he didn't play to try to entertain anybody. He played to get an audience with God. David was a worshiper. And as he worshiped God, the spirit of God came on him. And as the spirit of God came on him, he could take down a lion and a bear. Amen. Whenever he started worshiping, the the tormenting spirit of discouragement and depression would leave. David was an incredible worshiper. And because of that, he became intimate with God. He got, he began to fellowship and commune with God. You know, worship is an avenue of communing and fellowshipping with God. He inhabits the praises of his people. Whenever you want the presence of God in your life, just begin to praise him. You don't have to know all the words in the song. You could just say, Jesus, 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 and put a little tune to it. Jesus, and the presence of God will come. And you'll find a relief from whatever's bugging you or bothering you. Y'all agree with this this morning? Amen. Are you hearing me? And so listen, David, along with his heart, learned what it was to commune with God. And so David, long before he became a warrior, a king, a poet, a psalmist, developed intimacy with God through worship. I believe Worship was a key factor of why David is called a man after God's own heart. You know what I find is that in the flesh you can attend church. You can be around religious things. But it takes a heart that's submitted to God to relinquish all and just worship the king. It takes a heart of humility that is willing to bow down and give God their whole allegiance. But my friends, it's at that point and in that state that we can humble ourselves before the creator of the universe. That we get God's attention and God's spirit comes and God's grace comes. And God gives us the grace to go places we never dreamed we would go. To take us from the fields to the palace. He'll give us the grace to have skills we never dreamed we would have. Because it's God that has the ability to take a nobody and make them somebody. So that everybody knows that it's a God thing. Amen. Come on. David is a great inspiration to all of us. The Bible says in John 4 and verse 23, the time is coming indeed is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for worshipers. Amen. But you stand with me. Let's close in prayer.
Oh, what a great inspiration David is. What a great inspiration of what to do and what not to do. Amen? Come on, how many of you been, how many of you are ministered to today by just David's life, by just the words that we read? If you hear and you're hearing my voice, God is speaking to us today and say, learn, learn from the servants before you. It's meant to encourage us. Amen. Can we just bow our heart before the Lord right now? And just honor him, just reverence him, just respect him. What a great privilege to be called a man after God's own heart. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Praise you. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor, Lord. God, we give you our allegiance, Lord. We freshly commit our hearts and our life to you, God. Lord, we say, God, help us to be men and women after your own heart. Help us, God, to serve you, to live for you, to make your purpose our priority. Help us, God, to be faithful servants, God. Lord, we don't want to be sheep. We we don't want to be goats. We want to be sheep. Lord, we don't want to be rebellious. We want to be submissive. Lord, we want to be servants that are willing, Lord, to follow you all the way, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. And I pray that you give us power and strength, Lord, to overcome the temptations of our own heart, our own flesh. Lord, give us the grace, God, to live uprightly and to live, Lord, in righteousness before you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. In Jesus' mighty and strong name we pray. And everybody that agreed said amen and amen.